Gracious and holy God, thank you for the women who are here today. Thank you for those who are online uh, or that will uh, watch this video later. Lord, I just pray that it, uh, it encourages us, Lord, as well as convicts us. Every week we come together and we study and we know that we want to do your will, Lord. We need your help. But your word is so alive, so so important to us, Lord. So we just ask that you guide us. Be with Connie as she's at hospital. Be with the doctors that are meeting with her. Um, also be with um, Nina and Hughes as Hughes recovers at home. Bless the time that we spend together, Lord, and we continue to lift up um, the nation of Ukraine and especially the civilians who have been victims of this um, horrific attack. May they feel our prayers, Lord. May we graciously give to the programs and mission partners that we know that can support them. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Uh, we're starting at the 10th verse of the 13th chapter. We're going to the end of chapter 14 of Luke, which seems very strange that we would do this, but it will all make sense as we get there. So as we go through this, I just want to, as you see in your notes, tell you a little bit about the word chiasm. Chiasm is when you kind of make a statement, you make a statement about someone kind of like statement A, statement B, and then it intersects and you go statement B, statement A. So it's, it's in a way that um, is a mirror and helps us see something more fully. And if I had my phone here, I could do a great job of giving you examples, but I didn't bring my phone down. Um, we'll see this in some of the ways that we're doing it, and some of it I've written out for you to look at. But it helps us, we did it last week too, it helps us know how the story unfolds and comes back together. Next week when we look at some of the parables, the lost sheep and especially the prodigal son, we'll really see that uh, much more um, focused and intently. Um, the other word is um, chiasmus, it's slightly different, but it has the same style or structure. It's a literary form to help get across a point. And um, the best would be, um, uh, let me give an example. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you could do for your country. Very famous Jack Kennedy. Um, I, I will mess it up if I try to say it correctly. John McCain said something to this effect um, that um, we are here to serve Washington, uh, but in fact, we have Washington serving us, or something like that, that kind of different different view of that. Uh, just looking at two different things and kind of switching them. And if you think of chi, the letter in Greek is an X, so it kind of cross-sections right there. And I'm misquoting John McCain, Lord have mercy on my soul. Um, but it's close to that. It's kind of like, you know, you, um, anyway, okay, let's go. Uh, so the first thing we're going to look at is the healing of a crippled woman on the Sabbath. That's verse 10 through 17. Uh, he's teaching on the Sabbath. We see that at the beginning. And, um, and a woman was there. A woman appeared with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over. Woman, you are set free from your ailments. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leaders of the synagogue were not too happy about this. 
um, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites. He really likes that word. Have you ever noticed that? He just kind of uses it for them. And again, a hypocrite, it was, uh, it, it was a word used for those who were in the theater who wore masks, so you couldn't really see who they were. So you saw this one picture of them, but underneath they were something different. Um, the Lord said to them, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The word humility, if you have NIV, both of those words work for that. Let me just say a couple things about this. Um, He's teaching, a woman appears, he notices her, she's crippled. He goes to her. It is, uh, it is his um, initiation to do that. She just shows up, she neither interrupts his teaching nor asks for anything and yet Jesus reaches out for her. I want to say that because sometimes we fear that we're not praying right, we're not asking right, we're not doing whatever God would want us to do in the way in which we do it so God is not going to hear us. God knows our needs. That's why in Romans 8 it says the Holy Spirit groans uh, for us in, in interceding for us because we don't know how to pray or how to ask. This one would seem obvious, but God initiates that. God is ready to touch us and to heal us and to do those things. This is a great story. Jesus reaches out to her. And then um, response to the ruler, she's been ill for 18 years. Why do you wait to this Sabbath to come? I'm like, well, for 18 years, she's probably been hanging out here, folks, uh, not just on the Sabbath day, and so far nothing has been done for her. So it, it seems interesting that they're going, well, you have all these other days. I'm thinking, is there a better day to be touched by God than on the Sabbath? And that's kind of how Jesus responds. Uh, again, the rulers, that word hypocrites are used for them. And then also his words leave them shamed or humiliated. Uh, I've talked about this before, but just as a reminder, if you're new, in the Middle Eastern culture, Old Testament, New Testament, even today, avoidance of shame is very important. Um, you know, we easily say, oh, shame on you for doing that. And we go, oh, you're right, I took three cookies, you know, it's like, that that's our biggest shame or something else. The avoidance of shame is essential. So when you are humiliated, that is a huge, huge thing. Somebody asked yesterday at one of the Bible said, they said, is shame still as significant to people as it was at the time of Jesus? And I said, yes, you avoid shame at all cost. Uh, so you're very, very careful with that. Again, next week, when we look at the prodigal son, there was all kinds of shame in that. Um, or expected shame and what's going on, but uh, you try to avoid shame. So Americans are not very good at understanding that, just being forthright, it's not in our culture. And so many, many years ago, 20 years ago, 30, when did Rick, 30 years ago, Desert Storm, trying to uh, navigate or doing other things, or even now trying to navigate with um, the culture of the Middle East, we don't get avoidance of shame. 
And so when we approach them, we have a very forthright, this is the way it is, the way it's supposed to be, and it can cause some embarrassment. That's not very good for negotiating. You know, you don't want to um, make somebody upset or make them try and shame them to get them to do something. That's not going to work in that culture. Uh, same culture um, we see in, in other areas. A, a pastor friend was a, both a pastor and a professor up in Alaska in the um, indigenous people up there. And so as a pastor, when he first got there, he asked the elders, well, when you serve communion, I just want to make sure that I'm being sensitive both to your culture and how you're doing things. So tell me, do you serve communion um, before the sermon or after the sermon? I'm not sure what the circumstances was, probably, or is it before the prayers or after the prayers? Whatever his question was, and the response from the uh, lead elder in, in the tribe area was to tell him a story about fishing. So Pastor Bruce asked again, okay, so that's a very nice story, but just tell me, when do I serve communion? So he told him another story. It took about three or four stories for Bruce to realize that he was answering him in the culture that was appropriate. He could never say, no, that's the wrong time to serve it, this is the right time, because that would be disrespectful. You go to Kenya and you pass by a building and say, oh, that's a U.S. Uh, a, uh, that's a U.S. building there, right? That's the ambassador's building. And they will say, yes, because they don't want to embarrass you by making you know you're wrong. So does, does that make sense? So there are all these cultures that do this. Shame in the Eastern culture is huge. So he's just humiliated them. They're already after him, right? They're already trying to find what he's doing wrong. And now he's embarrassed them. So it's, it's even worse. But keep that in mind as we go through here. So then we move into the nature of discipleship, verses 18 through 35, and it needs to be in the light of the kingdom of God. Now, just as a review, there's this middle section. Jesus in chapter 9 is headed to Jerusalem. I'll say this again. And he continues to talk about the kingdom of God, both present and coming. It's really important, but he has to go to Jerusalem, and that's his goal. This is in the midst of that. We're going to see this in these verses that are coming up. So let's look at these next set of verses. He said to them, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It is a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again, he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Okay. Both these parables are about the kingdom of God. One is about the mustard seed that's growing. The other is about um, bread. Luke likes to pair things. So here's a pair. Here's one about the tree, one about the bread. He also likes to do it with male-female figures. So it is the man that plants a tree. It is the woman that, that bakes the bread. But he's showing how the kingdom of God grows unbelievably to what you would expect it to do. And so you plant this little uh, mustard seed tree, and it grows, and it continues um, to grow. It's in fact the mustard seed tree is so, or the mustard tree is so um, large that birds perch on its branches. And I've given you references if you have time in your group. Um, 
Though I know you guys do lots of fellowshipping. People are telling me, yeah, yeah, Jen, we, we kind of get to this <laughs> along the way, but fellowship is good, it's good, so it's okay. So um, if you look at Psalms 104, Ezekiel 17, and Daniel 4.11, it infers the inclusion of the Jews. So, so the birds, all the birds, all the birds come. So every different species is there, and there's enough room on the branches of the tree for them. Okay, so he's just trying to tell them. By the way, oddballs, anybody who was injured, anybody who was not um, hurt, uh, a woman during her menstrual cycle could not go into the synagogue. So, um, or you had to be on the outside, or you had to be there only at certain times because those kind of people were not allowed. Well, here Jesus goes and he tells these parables about, no, the kingdom of God is so large that everybody, everybody is invited and there's enough room. I happen to uh, have learned a couple things during, I mean, I've always made brownies. I'm not a cook, I'm not a baker, no news to anybody who knows me, but I have learned how to make bread. And I do know that you need three parts um, of bread uh, and a cup and a half of, of water and just a little bit of yeast. So if you're in a hurry, someone said just add more yeast. Well, for a person like me, when it says one and a half cups of water, one and a half, three cups of flowers, one teaspoon of yeast, two of salt, there is no way that I'm going to do anything differently because I'm just not secure enough in baking. So I go, oh, throw in a little bit more yeast, it will rise more quickly, could do it more. Um, but yeast, the amazing thing is when I get this little ball of, of dough, it really, <laughs> it really gets big. I'm thinking this will never feed the four of us. It can feed three times that amount. So it's just bigger than what we anticipate. The kingdom of God is so much greater than what we anticipate. And Jesus is trying to make that clear. And then Jesus went through the town and village, verse 22. And after teaching, uh, village after another teaching, as he made his way where? To Jerusalem. Now let me tell you, when Jerusalem is referred to here, it's referred specifically to the temple. All prophets, all teachers, the Messiah is expected to come to the temple. So when Jesus is saying that, even though it's a city, it's going to be centered around the temple. In the temptation of Jesus, remember Satan was going to take him to the very top of the temple. And that was, and so the temple, the synagogue, the temple, very, very important. So when he's going to Jerusalem, he's referring specifically, he's going to the temple. And someone asked him while he's going there, Lord, will only a few be saved? Their response is, oh no, everyone who's an Israelite will share in that, in that you know, great uh, salvation act. But others have said, no, only those who, um, who really rely on the Most High, um, who have a dedication of heart and soul to God. The prophet said that, Moses said that. We're gonna see how Jesus answers this. But there are two schools of thought. It's like, um, oh, eventually, you know, uh, for Israel, yeah, they're God's people. And the others are like, no, God called us to be holy people. And there's, there's an expectation, kind of like when you get married, there's an expectation in that. Um, so Jesus goes on to say, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. 
when once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then in reply he will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, sorry, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrown out. Then the people will come from east and west and from north and south and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Okay. Jesus is saying, make, make every effort to get through that narrow door. Don't delay. Don't say any time. Don't say it's not important. Strive to get through that door because once it's closed, it's closed. And then don't be surprised. It's open. The door is open, calling. And here's the issue. The prophets came because the people wouldn't listen. Remember, it all starts in God is in a relationship. We fail. He sends judges. He sends kings. He sends prophets. The law is all the way in between there with Moses. And they continue to not be receptive. And then he sends his son. And his son is saying, it's a narrow door. It's close. Come on, don't just assume that this is the way you could do that. And so there's a dead end. So for Jesus, you really see that prophetic voice again that you heard in the Old Testament with Moses calling the people back to him. Um, so then it goes on from there. At the very hour, some of the Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now it's interesting that the Pharisees are watching him and they're trying to trap him all the time. He's just really made them angry when he was in the synagogue uh, before. And yet there are some who follow him who are concerned. So they come and they warn him. And Jesus' response is great. Go and tell that fox for me, listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today, tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. I'm going to stop there just for a second and go back. So Jesus um, is going to predict his death once again here, but he talks about Herod. And the interesting thing is that um, be careful not to think too much more highly of yourself than you should, because normally someone will help you recalibrate that. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think so. So a fox is a very sly, crafty animal. Um, I don't know if you watch coyotes around this community, but we have coyotes and we also have foxes. Foxes are not big. They're kind of small, but they're very, very, you know, they're smart, they're crafty, they're clever. And so that can be both a good and a bad thing. But to call him a fox also kind of demotes him. Uh, Herod liked to see himself as a person who was like a lion. Well, lions are big. They're really big. Foxes, not so much. And so when saying that about Herod, even though it's a it's a crafty animal, it's got you know it, it's got some moves, something that you would watch and know. 
Herod is not nearly as great as Herod thinks he is. And so Jesus wants to make that clear. And then he's very clear about God, not you, Herod. Our God is in charge of my destiny, not you. And not today, not tomorrow, and not on the third day. And the third day, again, is short. Folks, we're going to get to Monday, Thursday, Good Friday to Sunday. You cannot get three days out of that. And so people have tried forever. Three days is a short time. That's what that means. And so that's what he's referring to here. But he's saying, I'm here today and tomorrow, and on the third day, this will happen. And I'm on my way today, tomorrow, and the next day. I have a mission, and the little fox, as powerful as he thinks he is, and as much influence as he really does have, will not stop the kingdom of God and the planning therein. So he just kind of responds to them. Um, Wesley had a, a, a vision. Satan was at the foot of his bed threatening him, and he looks at him and he goes, oh, it's only you. Rolls over and goes back to sleep. So Jesus, in the same sense, is like, you are not in control. God is in control. And you just tell that little fox, who cares? I'm not worried. And then he talks about Jerusalem. It's a familiar verse. It's repeated in another gospel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. That's kind of a reference back to that narrow door. I try to bring you back to be the holy people I've called you to be. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is still going on his mission. He's going to do what he's going to do, but he looks at Jerusalem and weeps. And again, he's referring to the people of God, Jerusalem, what they're doing, and he weeps. I'm thinking, I wonder if God weeps for the church where we are at times, when we have done what we should and when we have not done what we should. I love the zoo. Um, I, I actually love farms and all those things, but I, I still want to go home and be clean. <laughs> so don't put me to work on the farms. But if you've ever watched a chicken with her little chicks, they don't go after the chickies with the mom there. If she wants them somewhere, she's going to really protect them, and, and she really does gather them under her wing. Um, ducks and little ducklings. And then you have one that kind of wanders off and gets lost, like, come on, come on, come back. Um, how I long to protect you. Protect you from the evil that you have embraced. She wouldn't have... You wouldn't have it. There is a deep sorrow. There is a deep sorrow for Jesus in this moment. Okay, the lament, the lament. We're in a season of lament, in a real sense, a season of Lent, where we really reflect on our own lives as we look at the, the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. And we take time really to lament where in our own life do we need to get right and, and remember who we serve. We're really going to see that a little bit more in chapter 14. Okay, let's go to 14. You all good? Okay. 
On one occasion, first verse there on 14, Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath. Here we're going again, it's a Sabbath. They were watching him closely. Now, one of the things that you should know about Sabbath eating is um, you would make a meal before the Sabbath and you would eat the meal on the Sabbath late in the day into early evening. So it would be dust to dark. Okay, that's going to be important as he begins to tell some parables here. Um, and, and you also have to think like, well, was this one of the Pharisees that liked Jesus or is it one of those that didn't? And if so, why would they invite him? He gets invited a lot, even by the Pharisees to break bread, which is a very intimate thing to do in the Middle East. But remember, they're trying to, to catch him. <laughs> they're like building a case. You ever want to take somebody out, you just kind of build a case for them, against them. And you watch what they're doing and you, um, Lord have mercy on my soul. Um, and, but you, you just watch and so bring them into your home. Watch what goes on there. So Jesus comes, the meal is late in the day, and that's going to prove important here in just a little bit. So um, he sees a man <clears throat> in front of him who had dropsy, which is like endema. That's like if you have congestive heart failure, you have the fluid that just kind of builds up in your body. And your my sweet 102 mother-in-law handles it very well because she's 102, but her ankles are, are very large because she is, is it called edema? Am I saying that correctly, Miss Ruth? I, I can look up it. I can, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I have another nurse over there. Uh, so that's the word for it. It says dropsy here, but that's what that means. It's, in those times it could be so much, it's not really pleasant being around a, a person like that. Um, but he's there, and Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? So he's going to test them. But they were silent. Uh, it's hard to get in trouble when you don't say anything, uh, and yet sometimes you convict yourself by not saying anything. So Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said to them, if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. So Jesus, again, like in the first one, in the Old Testament, you had certain rules of things that you could do on the Sabbath that were humanitarian. That the law was not so strict that you couldn't do something uh, nice, like take care of your ox if it fell in a hole or a child or take it out for water because you need that animal and that animal needs water and it needs to be cared for. So there were certain exceptions to that. So yes, it is a day of rest, but what's more important is that we do the kind thing. And so in healing the man again, we don't know why the man was there. He just kind of shows up. This is the second healing. Jesus continues on his way to Jerusalem to teach, to preach, to tell parables, to heal people. And we just see this. And so here are two uh, stories of him healing people. Um, and then, so at the same time, he, uh, when he, Jesus, noticed, verse 7, how the guests chose a place of honor, he told them a parable. You wonder if they ever get tired of these little parables, but um, they're full of uh, good things. Uh, so he tells this parable, and he said, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit to the place of honor. 
in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place, and then in disgrace against shame, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Directly talking to the Pharisees, directly talking to those in leadership. And uh, there's an assumption I think I've told you all, I was 15 and a half before I ever got to sit in the front seat of the car, and that was when I was behind the wheel of the car. I'm the youngest of four. It is like a pecking order, like nobody's business in my household. So I thought, wow, this is the front seat, amazing. Um, just I, any of you who experience that with your sibling, anyway, don't assume. I mean, this is a nice thing. Don't assume, but rather be, be humble or be humble. So take a different seat. I don't know about you, but when I go to someone's home, I wait for them to tell me where to sit. I never want to assume where I should be seated. And they normally say, oh, sit anywhere, and um, makes me nervous. I'm like, oh, what does that mean to you? <laughs> Just tell me where to sit. Um, we had a sweet guest from Africa who is uh, on the board of our Elma Barnett Children's ministry, we had her over with, we try, this is pre-COVID and we're starting to do it again, I'm thrilled. When we have a mission partner come into town, uh, Rick and I try and host a dinner and have mission folks uh, on the commission over so they can meet with her. Well, anyway, she came over and we put her at the head of the table and she didn't know what to do about that. She goes, I can't believe you put me at the head of the table. I go, well, you're our honored guest, why would you not be at the head of the table? But for her, she never thought of sitting in such a high place. So it was just this kind of, and for us it was like, well, yeah, unless you're at the other side of the table and then you have to be running back and forth to the kitchen, so we won't do that. So just sit, be a person of honor here. And Jesus is saying that. And he's saying if you don't, you will be humbled because see, the Pharisees kept bringing themselves up, kept thinking better and better of themselves so that by the time Jesus is around, and Jack just preached about this, did he not? that they thought they were people of power, people of prestige, people of privilege, um, people of entitlement, as I would call that. Um, and Jesus is saying, you will be humbled. You will be humbled, okay? And then he said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case you may, they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they, can re they cannot repay you, for you will be paid at the resurrection of the righteous. Those who are doing the right. You're kind of going back to that. What's, who gets saved? That narrow door, the righteous, those, those who want to walk with God. You kind of see that tied in here. Okay, so this is what I've done for you because... Um, in, in verses um, 12, just continued there. Um, honor will not be given, it will be taken. And then in, he goes on to just say, who can you really invite that cannot repay you? And we, again, love to have um, folks over, love to go out and do things, and we tend to go with our friends. Um, can we have eyes to see those who maybe are isolated or alone are not normally invited. 
And, um, and, I, and I think we all get nervous when somebody does something for us. Do we not feel obligated? Now we need to do something for them. I think one of the greatest gifts that we can uh, have given to us is an ability to just say thank you and just appreciate what somebody's done. It makes them feel great. They don't feel like, oh, well, what are you going to do for me now? Just like, no, I just want to do this for you. So he gives that. So 15. Now I'm going to do a couple, just a different thing here. If you look at your notes, we're looking at 15 through 24. This is based off of the Isaiah 25. And so I've done that kind of chiasmus on here so you can kind of see what's going on and how it's a teaching tool. That's the most important thing when we look about this. This is a literary form. It's used uh, in scripture. It's used in other places. But it's really, really helpful to grab a hold of what's going on. So let's read first. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. Again, it's another parable. At the same time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have brought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm trying, going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Okay, I'm not gonna go through the Isaiah, but you can look at that passage there. If you just look at the right, there's a banquet. This banquet in a, in, um, Isaiah that's written, everybody's invited, everybody's asked to come in. And it, God's going to take away anything that has prevented them, the veil, anything, and he's going to bring them in. And um, it's going to get rid of any kind of reproach. And then you see that God is doing this. They're waiting for God. God is going to save them. God is doing this. They're waiting for God. God is going to save them. So there's a sense that those who are the the least, those who are in the fringes, are those that, that God is calling in. Now, here's the weird thing about these excuses. The first two are lame excuses. I mean, they're just really goofy, 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 not very smart excuses. Uh, the last one, a wedding, I just got married, that makes sense because in Old Testament tradition, if you got married, the man would have an entire year off to enjoy his wife. I thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool? I got married on a Saturday and was back in school on Tuesday. What happened with that one? Okay. You get a whole year. So that one kind of makes sense. The other two, um, like I need to go out and uh, I bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Have you not seen it before you bought that piece of land? And by the way, when do they eat a meal? The banquet is at the end of the day. It's when it's getting dark. Good luck seeing the land. Also, um, I, just, I just bought some stuff, and, and I, um, I have five ox, 
uh, five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Did you ever buy a car without driving it? Despite the fact that you only get to drive one mile to test drive the car and that's supposed to tell you whether you really want this car or not. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. So as I say, the, the wedding guest makes sense and yet none of it makes sense because it's not about what excuses they make. It's about, I don't have time. It's about, I, I have other priorities in my life. It's, and the thing is, it's, it, it's priorities that kind of make sense. It's about our lives, our work, and our property, things that are important. You can't really neglect those. But they've taken priority over the one who has invited them, the one who has said, come and dwell and dine and be at my banquet. And so that leads us to um, this last part about uh, what Jesus is saying, 25 through 35. Now the large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether it, he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who will see it will begin to ridicule him. Again, avoidance of shame. Saying this fellow began to work and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage a war with another king? He sees that he's got so many soldiers, the other one has twice as many. Are you not going to try and sit down and find some way to um, to seek peace instead of going to war uh, that you cannot win. Uh, so none of you can come before my dis can become my disciple if you do not give all, all your possessions. Salt is good, but if salt has a ta lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. They throw it away. Let to anyone who is let to anyone with ears to hear listen. Okay, so he has just told them about being invited to the banquet, that the lame excuses of family, work, and property, though they are important, they do not supersede the call of God. And that's what Jesus is referring to in the next section, the hating of the family. What? If it's more important to you than you're following Jesus, then we have an issue. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. If, if what you invest in, if what you build is more important to you, if you haven't thought of the full structure, like great, you get the foundation and then you can't do anything else. Uh, you see this again, world traveling, lots of places get started, they don't get finished. Haven't planned well. Uh, going to war, the cost of war, boy do we, see that, would we not be better to sit down and try and negotiate? Don't, don't, get, don't get distracted by those things that you need to do. And then the purpose of salt, salt is really, really good, but if it, if it loses its saltiness, then it's useless. And um, most of us um, absolutely love salt, so we don't have, <laughs> we're really good if we know it's gone bad. We're just like, oh no, it's not salty enough. Um, 
Jesus is calling them to a discipleship that is, yes, costly. Take up your cross. Understand what it means to follow me. Part of this is hyperbole in that um, when he's saying, give away all your possessions, it's like, well, how will I eat, how will I sleep, how will I do those things? Those are important, but if they take precedence over your following God, you'll lose it anyway. You'll lose it anyway. So Jesus called this last part, so he's told these parables. He's just saying, the banquet, the banquet is here. It's being prepared, and you're missing out. That door to come into the banquet is here, and you're just too busy, and that door's going to close, and it's not going to be any time left for you. And then while you're here, make sure that what you do reflects that heart of God. Care for the poor. Be present. Come when God calls you. So this is kind of uh, some tough things going on. I want to clarify as you go in. Um, just let me clarify a couple of, question, of, of your questions. And then you, you can ask me questions if you like, OK? So we're almost there. Um, I, the very first question, I want to be careful because of the attack in Ukraine right now. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, knowing of his upcoming suffering. <clears throat> Are you in a fight or flight in the face of danger? Now, I'm not referring, and that's why I want to say this, to Ukraine, where I think we need to get out, everybody that we can get out. Uh, you hear stories of families going and husbands returning, um, or the young returning or even the old returning to fight for the country. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to uh, maybe an example. Uh, there's a fight uh, in your family, and someone confronts you. Do you fight back, or do you like retreat or, or flee or whatever? I need you to think about, do you have a mentality of when the times get tough, the tough get going, sometimes in the opposite direction? <laughs> and sometimes they're willing to fight for that. I, you know, um, there are certain things I will not, uh, full disclosure here, for my own self I may not fight for. Uh, but you go after one of our children and I will go toe to you, toe to, toe to you. But what are other areas? I mean, Jesus is saying this is a hard time and he's saying here's a cost. Where are you willing to fight and where are you more like flight? Um, you see this when there are terrorists or emergencies, those who come forward uh, risking all their lives to protect others, and others who are like, let me hunker down or hide. If you were afraid as a child of the dark, or you're afraid of what might happen, if you thought if you closed your eyes, whatever was scary would go away, and if you do that when you were young, okay, I did that. <laughs> that, was, that is a flight kind of thing. So that I just wanted to make sure that I clarify that. Um, and then what about the church or the people of God makes you weep in reference 1334? Uh, that's about ourselves too. Where are we missing the mark? Where are we missing that call of God? Where are we not seeing as a church and a community some of the things that we could be doing? That's not a judgment, that's a call to how can, how, where do we see where we could really reflect more of being in that image of God in the way in which we do our work? Okay, thank you. Questions? All right, let me pray us out. Thank you all. Uh, next week I'll be back, three weeks in a row, just full warning here. But we're going to look at the uh, chapters 15 and 16. The, um, some of my favorite parables in there, a lot of nuances. We'll take time to look through that. Let's pray. 
Gracious and holy God, bless these women as they go into their small groups, as they do indeed fellowship with one another. May it be a rich time, Lord. And I just pray for those who are uh, watching us that they too would take time to just reflect, Lord, both on the questions, but especially on this passage. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What are you calling us to do? We know we don't walk alone. We know we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to move from uh, what we think we should do to actually be doing what you've called us to do. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all.